This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what is going on, NBA Draft fans? My name is Corey Tullaba, and I am your host this week for the Home and Away episode on the No Ceilings NBA Draft podcast feed. You know how it goes on this podcast feed. We have one home. That's me. We have one away, a guest outside of the No Ceilings family. We have our guy, um, friend of the, the show, Dan Purcell, with us today. Dan, what's going on, man? Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me back. It's the best time of the year. It is the best time. We were talking off air a little bit. The both the longest and the shortest month, both at the same time, leading up to the draft. But super exciting. The the lottery order is set. Um, at this point, we have probably consumed uh, a combined million hours worth of film, and um, pretty soon we're going to get to take a nap. But not yet, because <laughs> we still have a lot to talk about, a lot to break down, a lot to discuss. So let's get right into it. Um, Victor Wembanyama, this is the guy you've been hearing about him for years and years and years. What team was going to win the the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes? It was the San Antonio Spurs. Um, now, I, I want to ask you, because you know um, you have worked within – and you know, with an NBA team in the front office, uh, you know, you're with Sports Business Classroom now. Um, for as long as you've been doing this, have you seen somebody like him or anything close to it? No, there's there's nothing like him. And you know, LeBron is the closest type of quote unquote can't miss. I don't like using that term, but you know, the yeah. guy who has the highest ceiling and is young. I mean, when LeBron was you know, back in Ohio, I, I'm actually from Cleveland, and we actually went and saw him play. We scrimmaged against him. Like I've I've seen him up up close and personal at you know 16 years old, and he was he could have played in the NBA then. And I think Wembenyama is almost the same thing. Where if he was 16 or 7, he could probably play in the NBA just from his sheer size and skill set. I just you just have not seen somebody with this size and this fluidity and. His IQ is super high too. I mean, there you just go on and on about this guy, and it's he's a passer. You, so you can put him in the Jokic role. You know, you can put him in uh, at, at at the elbows and work off him at the elbows. But then also you can run Spanish pick and rolls, left all versions of Spanish pick and rolls that you want to run, right? Yeah. And you can, but then you can run just regular pick and rolls. You can run second side if you want to get him on the second side. Like there's so you can put him in the dunker. I mean, you, you obviously you don't want to. Downs. But, <laughs> yeah, but you can. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm not saying you're going to, but Pop can, you know, first off, Pop's the maybe the greatest coach ever, in my opinion, he is. And so you're putting him with a coach and a coaching staff that is just 
Like they know, they know how to do this. This is, this is another repeat for them, you know? And again, every guy's skill set is unique. Tim Duncan's different than Victor Wembenyama. You know, David Robinson's different than Victor Wembenyama. But still having that infrastructure is just going to, I think, is actually the best thing that could have happened to him. And um, just as a side plug, on on my Twitter, I actually called this back in February, I think it was. (laughs) I actually called that the Spurs were going to get it. I, I, I just didn't see how the league would let him go to, bad spot i'm not saying that it's rigged or anything i'm not right. saying that i'm just saying you know if there was a spot that is perfect for your nba whole league um you know the guy you're gonna have for the next 15 years barring injury you know why wouldn't you put him with the with pop with the best coach and the best health and strength and you know in the league yeah new practice facility um yeah. it's beautiful it, obviously history there, Tony Parker from France, you know, that relationship with Victor Wimbanyama, it seemed like he was happy about it, a seamless fit. But what does that mean for an organization like San Antonio? Like, obviously they got the David Robinson, Tim Duncan years. They then drafted incredibly well. Um, but after the whole Kawhi Leonard situation, it was an organization that you knew was going to do the right things. They were going to go through their process, build their culture. But at the end of the day, they're still the San Antonio Spurs. San Antonio is not going to be your premier free agent destination. Um, so what does it mean for the future of that franchise now? Not only from a basketball perspective, but a small market team. What does it mean from a business perspective that they landed Victor Wembenyama? Like, would And would it be anything even close if they, let's say, landed Scoot Henderson? Like, what is the difference in in business opportunities between even those two guys? I mean, obviously, it's the ticket sales, right? I mean, that's the first thing. I think I think the day they won the lottery, I, there was a report out that their ticket, you know, season ticket sales doubled or whatever it was <laughs> from what it was the, the day before. Um, San Antonio, you know, San Antonio has a rabid fan base. They are 100% behind their team. They have always been, you know, the Spurs are, if you look at maybe, uh, you know, a city that's crazy about their football team, you know, it's the same type of thing with the Spurs, like uh, Atlanta, the Falcons are, you know, Atlanta fans are crazy about the Falcons. That is their thing, right? Yep. And it's the same thing in San Antonio. It's the same type of mindset. So you're you're reinvigorating that fan base and, you know, they it was harder to sell tickets, obviously, and it's a business sponsorships, you know, local sponsorships and whatnot. It, from a business standpoint, it's like the greatest thing that you could you could get Christmas Day, right? When you're a kid, it's the best thing that you could get, and um, I, it, like it's 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 going to turn them. Not that they were struggling or anything like that, but it turns them into going back to where the Tim Duck and Tony Parker Manu Ginobili days were, where that place was loud. That place was packed every single night. There was just sell. It was the only ticket in town. It was the only thing to do, and they were great. And it's going to be that same. I think it's going to be that same type of thing over the next five years. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm happy for them. I have a lot of friends in the Spurs organization. They're great people, and I'm really happy that this happened for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you touched on it. Couldn't have he couldn't have gone to a more prepared organization to handle a situation like this. But now. This is the easy part. You selected Victor Wembanyama. Congratulations. Step one is complete. Now, what are going to be their next moves to build around him? Are there any keepers on the roster? And do, do they compete early 
do they try to just be patient with it and, and maybe, you know, tread towards the lottery again next year? What, how would you approach the next steps to the Victor Wimbanyama lottery? Yeah, before even I look at the roster or what where our, what our cap situation is, you know, I need to make sure my plan for Victor is spot on. And that is that is A1, A2, and A3. Uh, I like some of the pieces they have. I think they have some good, you know, they have some good pieces that go along with him. But those pieces, n- no disrespect, but it's his show now, right? Yeah. And those pieces either can be moved or they can be, you know, keep developing. But the big thing for me is it's not salary cap. It's not anybody else. It's Victor. It's his body, right? I mean, he has a, he has a thin frame. I'm not sure that he's going to be Anthony Davis. You know, when we had Anthony Davis, it was get him. He had he had the the shoulders and the frame to build out, right? You could get him strong. You look at him now and you look at him back then, you're like, well, this is a totally different guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's this, it won't be the same type of thing for Victor. I think he's always going to be that kind of skinny, you know, long, lengthy guy like Kevin Durant kind of. So if he can develop yep. Kevin Durant type strength, I don't know if you're going to be in the lottery ever again, you know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm just being honest. I, I don't think with the pieces they have currently, and then you add him to the mix. I don't see them. I see them immediately contesting for a playing game because he's that good. Now, will it take him time to now barring injury, obviously. And this sure. is the whole thing is making sure that we're doing everything we can to make his, keep him healthy, keep him developing, you know, chip, you know, Chip England is now in Oklahoma City, so you yep. don't have that aspect. Not saying that you can't get it from another one of their assistants, because I think all their assistants are really, really good. And it's just a matter of what is his development today. Year one is yeah, okay, we're we're we definitely need, we can probably play with the pieces we have. We have guys on rookie scale contracts. We have guys who are somewhat you know fixed into their positions, and you know, and they're young vets, so we can at least rely on our young vets to help put pull him a little bit. But from a team perspective, I it's whatever we're doing is has to do with his health, the way he 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 gains weight, um, how he gains his weight, how his skills develop, um, how he does defensively learning, you know, how is he gonna be on the two nine? Obviously seven four, seven five. Yeah. So the two nine is probably not gonna be a huge issue for him, but still it's something to adjust to, right? And I just think that. I don't know if they'll they'll be in the lottery again. It's it, it maybe year one. Okay, I'll give you year one. They might be the eighth seed or, or the eight, I'm sorry, the eighth or eighth or ninth pick. Uh, you know, barring injury, you kind of you got to kind of progress it away from the precedent that LeBron had, right? Yeah. And so after year two, it was just off to the races. It was just you know we got to find guys that can play around him and whatnot. So. I would love to sit here and say, hey, you know, they need to make this trade, look for this guy in free agency. This is their cap. So I would love to sit here and say, but honestly, I don't think it matters in year one, especially. I don't know that. Obviously, it matters in the sense of you want to have guys around him that are pros. You want young guys with good attitudes. You want you don't want um, you don't want any of that volatility that comes with guys thinking they need to play more because they're losing, you know, anything like that. So if you want to talk about pro. Character profile, sure. Then, yeah, they need to get guys that are positive, that know how to work, that when he gets in a, in a slump, that they're like, hey, hey, young fella, you know, maybe try this next time, you know, what? or maybe try this or try that. I, I, those, to me, those are more valuable than having to worry about year one, making the playoffs, doing this, having roles, everything. This dude's 18 years old. 
he's going to be around for at least seven years. You're going to have him for at least seven, maybe six, yep. if you know things go awry. And if it's if it's going really well and you're competing for championships and you're in San Antonio, odds are that you're probably going to stay. You know, odds are you're probably going to stay. And now you have a 12 to 14 year career. So this is not a rush job. And I, I think a lot of people on social media like they like action and they like trades and they like and honestly, I, I think with him, the more boring, the better. Like the more boring we are in in media and social media and all that, the better we are because we're flying under the radar as much as we can. I mean, look at that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's an insane. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't, nobody else matters to me except him. Where are we going with him, his body, people around him? Who's his crew? How do, how do we make him comfortable? Because it's a learning curve for the team as well when it, when a new player comes in, especially of that stature. I mean, every night is going to be the first highlight on SportsCenter. So it's a matter of, you know, managing that. And I, I know it's some of the purest basketball people listening right now are like, man, not even talk about basketball. It's because honestly, it doesn't matter. Look how good he is. He's yeah. already he's already a top 30 player. Top 35 hasn't even touched the floor yet. So everything around him needs to be perfect. The basketball will come. I, I would be confident in the staff in San Antonio, 100 percent. And the, and the uh, medical people there are really good. I don't see I don't see an issue in terms of anything other than getting good dudes around him, making sure they know how to work, excuse me. And, um, you know, just getting his body right. And for the future, I I, I know, I know it's kind of dull and boring, but I I just think that dull and boring, excuse me, dull and boring is the way to go here. Yeah. And I think, uh, anybody who's followed the San Antonio Spurs over, you know, the last, uh, 30 years, probably describe them as dull and boring from you know the black and gray uniforms all the way <laughs> to the the personalities but uh the play is going to be the exciting part you know everything else that's it's obviously they have dull and boring down to a science to make dull and boring as exciting as it possibly can be another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, but look, they, one of the things that happens when you have a guy like Victor Wembanyama, right, is that not only are you going to be watching Victor Wembanyama in all of these games, but you're going to be watching his teammates. And there's a guy who, who he played with that I know you wanted to, to touch on a little bit. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and that's, uh, Bilal Koulibaly, um, Big who, fan. Is, who is one of, I think, <clears throat> the most intriguing prospects in this class. Uh, long, athletic, I think, you know, rumored to be 6'7", 6'8", with a 7'2", wingspan. The footwork, 
you know, we talked again off air a little bit. You could tell by the way guys move sometimes. He moves like a basketball player. Some guys look like they are playing 1v1 versus a cone. And when they try to do stuff in a game, that's it, it's harder for them. It doesn't look as natural as, as fluid. With Bilal, fluidity is the name of, of the game for him. Everything is so impressive. What do you like? What intrigues you about him as a prospect? Obviously, the measurements are, are really good if they're you know they're not accurate. always accurate as we yeah. as we know we got to take it with a grain of salt but looking at him i've watched every possession of his this year and some from the year before and it's not he looks the part of the length right and you kind of look at him in this draft you look for comp sets that of other guys that are in this draft and you look at the thompson twins and you're kind of like they're built somewhat similar you know similarly and they're they they kind of play similarly the same play the same type of positions um, on the floor and his feel is really, really good. And I think playing with Victor Wembanyama helps his case actually, because not so much that he looks better playing with him. Obviously anybody will look better, but if you actually look at a lot of these possessions, he doesn't have them on the floor and he's still doing, and they're giving him the freedom to read, react, come off, pick and rolls, you know, and that's the thing. He kind of reminds me of Brad Beal a little bit, bigger Brad Beal. And the way he can run pick and rolls, the way he shoots, the way he comes, he doesn't fly off screens as Brad, you know, as well as Brad does, but something he can learn over time. And, you know, defensively, I don't think he's a, a huge liability. I think he's somebody that wants to learn and can be taught. And um, I think playing with a superstar, it kind of helps because you're not him, you know, you're not the guy every night. And sometimes guys that are on a bigger stage when they're not in the NBA, and they're that guy um, on that team, they have problems coming to the NBA because you have to accept a role in the NBA. And unless you are LeBron or Steph or, and even Steph, it took Steph a couple of years to become truly Steph, right? But you have to look at like, you have to be Magic Johnson. Like you gotta, you gotta be these guys to walk in the league day one and be him, right? Mm -hmm. And there's not too many guys that can do that. And I think playing with Wembenyama, seeing that there is a him guy out there helps him translate to the NBA better because he'll be able to accept a role. And I think that's, it's so hard these days. I've been on the EYBL circuit a lot this year, really looking at the next two to three drafts, right? Trying to get ahead of the curve myself. And there's a lot of him activity, right? I'm him activity. And there's only going to be three of you that are going to be him, right? In those, you know, maybe four total in the next three drafts that are that guy. And I think, being able to accept a role is even bigger today than it was yesterday when I was, you know, in, when I was in the league myself or when, you know, when I was a kid. And I think accepting these roles is, is extremely important. And how great would he be as a number two in five years? Or what if he becomes your number three option in three years? I mean, that is just, you know, I, I think he's getting, and obviously because he's overseas, but a lot of guys, a lot of people in the States don't, take the time to watch or they don't have the resources to watch him. But if you can, I would obviously watch him. He is a monster. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. The The point you made about all these guys who want to be him and one of the appeals is that he's already shown that he doesn't have to be that. That's something that's really shaped um, my scouting philosophy over the last uh, you know two years or so in that, like you said, the talent level is absolutely nuts. And so many of these guys are playing longer and longer into their careers. Um, 
the more talent you have, the harder it is to be him. Uh, I, you know, was at Hoop Summit a few weeks ago, and then I went to the Iverson Classic. You know, I did that whole um, that whole circuit of, of high school stuff, and you know, this it was the same thing. I, I left going, all right, all of these guys or some of these guys who are ranked right now in the top five, but they're kind of like smallish guards with like okay athleticism and yeah they could score at the high school level at these lower levels and you know because they're just they, they're more talented than most of the guys they play against but it's like are you taking the ball out of bradley beal's hands are you taking the ball out of steph curry's hands are you taking the ball out of jason tatum jalen brown's hands like that bar is so high and it's something that I think when, as evaluators, when we are coming out, you know, a site like ours where we come out with rankings, um, it's easy to look at like who are the top 50 guys, you know, on ESPN's pre-college board, but that doesn't mean that's how it's going to shake out when you have to rank them for their NBA projections, right? Um, And I think that some of these guys who do have the ability to come in, play a role, get on the floor, and then grow their game maybe into... Um, the flashes that they've shown as, as a guy who could be a number two or whatever. Those are the guys that I think should be ranked a little bit higher versus these guys who are like, if they're not the number one option, then what do they do? And I think Koulibaly kind of fits that to a T with the measurables, with the potential, the youth, being able to play off of other guys. He's not without question marks, right? You want his shot to be you know a little bit further along or, or you're hoping that it progresses. Um, but what he does, I, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he went a lot higher than people were expecting on draft night am i off base there no i think i i had him pegged at 12 to okc i don't think he's going to get there um i you know i don't think his shot is that bad his form is really good i think he's just seven two or you know seven foot wingspan yeah and that can be worked on he'll once he starts playing against defenses i think it'll get quicker shorter like it'll i I think we'll see him really be a 40 percent three-point shooter if not a 44 um i mean just looking at the list here i mean i i I don't think he's not going to get by, by OKC at 12. I don't think so. I think he's the perfect guy. Um, if OKC can get him, I would not be surprised also if OKC traded up for him. Mm. Um, I am. I would not be surprised if he's value saved, guys like that. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, he's his skill set fits in perfect with Shea and, and Chet and these, you know, and, and Giddy, like they need that type of dynamic player, right? Somebody who can still in the second, t- second unit run pick and rolls if needed. Or he can be a spot shooter. He can run second side offense. You know, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Maybe it's transition stuff. He he gives them more versatility, and that's what OKC is all about: is versatility, right? Skill, skill, and versatility. Um, I could see them trading uh, with Washington at eight if Washington has, you know, if Ted has, uh, Mr. Leonosis has said we're going to compete. You know, I, I hired a guy that wants to compete, so maybe eight isn't in play for them and. That could be a good trade. Maybe Orlando. Um, I don't think so, but Orlando or Detroit may want to get up, f- get off five or six. And the thing I love about Sam, uh, Sam Presti is he is not scared. If his guy is there, he will pay what he needs to pay to get up. He did it last year. He's done it before. And I love that about him. He has confidence in his, like he knows he's like, yeah. I know this guy is for us. This is for us. So I'm going to pay what I think it's worth. Now he's not going to overpay. But he's also like he he isn't he isn't afraid to put his foot down and say this is the guy and this is what we're gonna hang our hat on and I I could see OKC Toronto being very active trying to get someone like him he would be great with OG and, and Scotty Barnes I mean he'd be great with them 
Um, and I think that's another team that he fits the Toronto profile of like six eight, seven two, seven three wingspan, positionless, right? Like modern NBA player. Yeah. And don't count out New Orleans either. I, I think a lot of people are counting out New Orleans because the bad taste they had in their mouth to end the season, but they have a treasure trove of, of picks. This is not, I'm talking about teams that have capital to move up to this. You know, you got to have something to, to get something, right? You got to have some value. And if I'm, if I'm OKC or, or, or the Pelicans here, I am watching him very, 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 Tightly. I think he's a perfect fit for both those teams. Toronto's great too. Not sure that Toronto has enough maybe to move up to where he might be, but you know, I I know 10's in play for sure. Eight might be in play. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if five is in play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they really value him over maybe somebody like Anthony Black, which I don't see Anthony Black fitting extremely well at OKC just because kind of needs the ball. Yeah, it'd be overlap with Giddy and whatnot. And love his length. I I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Anthony Black's. But then you have the Thompson twins. Cam Whitmore's probably sitting there. So maybe Cam Whitmore is that guy. But there's some development that has to happen there. Upside's great. But I don't think you need to go to five to get him, you know? So is that, you know, I don't know if Indiana is going to go after him. I I mean, they could, but they have Matherin. And so it's kind of, you know, again, Kind of duplicating those guys, and I've heard Indiana wants to move up for um, a different player. So it's you know it's um, if I'm OKC or New Orleans or Toronto, I'm trying to get into either ten or or eight if I can, because um, I think he'll be there at eight. And if he's there at eight and he's your guy, I would go get him. I and you talk about Sam Presti, you know, believing, not being afraid to to pay up if if he needs to get somewhere. He's also not afraid to just take a guy higher than the mocks are saying he should go. Josh Giddy was not on many mocks projected to go at what do you go sixth in mm-hmm. his year? Right. And, uh, um, I was in Brooklyn for that one and, you know, the whole building was kind of shocked, um, at that time. And, you know, also he was a guy from Australia, not as many people that are casually going to the draft know who he is, but Sam Presti's not afraid to, to make a move like that as well. And I think Koulibaly has got all of the tools and skills to be a guy who, is one of the surprises on draft night. And that's what we love about the draft, right? Like we love that it's unpredictable. You might think that the draft order set because you read six different mock drafts, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's unpredictable. Um, Let's talk about, I guess the, the race for, for number two, it's, um, you know, coming into the year, Scoot Henderson seemed locked into that spot, but we know unpredictability unless you're a, a Victor Wembanyama, you're never going to be locked into a spot. Uh, Brandon Miller came on. He was a guy that was ranked somewhere around the 15, 16 range coming into the year. He's played himself up six, nine, almost 40% shooter from three. Uh, what do you, but he obviously dealt with a, an off court issue, conflicting reports about how he's interviewing. Um, who do you think the guy at two is going to be, is it going to be even Charlotte? Are they a team that's definitely selecting uh, the pick? Are they possibly a trade candidate? What do you think is going to happen in that two to three spot? I have Brandon Miller there. I think that from a, the problem, the Charlotte needs talent, right? It needs top end talent. It has Lamella ball, which is, he's an all-star type point guard. Um, he has good size, great passer. You know, he can really shoot it too when he's, when he's on, they need wing support like 
some of the teams out here just there's some teams in this draft that absolutely need wings left and like it's their Achilles heel, right? Look at Memphis. They just they need wings like none other. And I think depending on what the off the court stuff comes down to, I've heard stories about the the gun and all that stuff, and I've heard from multiple people kind of the same consistent story. Um it's not a good position to be in, but at the same time is what was your role, right? What was your role in this? And um, I think there are going to be some questions just in general, just, is he going to be mature enough to handle the league? Cause the league comes at you fast. That's something that, uh, yeah. <laughs> a, an assistant coach that I, when I first started always told me, he's like, the league comes at you fast, young fella. And, um, that is, he's absolutely right. And cause you're, you're one day you're at Alabama, Fitzbrenema, you're, you're one day you're at Alabama and the next day you're getting a, you know, your first paycheck in the middle of October and it's more money than you've ever seen in your life. You know, or if he hasn't, if he's seen more than that, then, you know, good for him, but yeah, it's going to be a substantial amount of money that 99.9% of Americans don't see. And um, <clears throat> how you handle that along with, the off the court stuff, the the people that you are surrounding yourself with. And that's, and I think that's the biggest thing that, <clears throat> that most people are having issues with is who is he surrounding himself with? And you know, the NBA is being hyper vigilant now with the John Morant stuff about they've always had the rookie transition program. They've always had the, you know, the programs that help rookies work through things. Right. But sometimes you can't, you can only lead a horse to water. You can't force him to drink. Right. And I think that's, where we have to be with Brandon Miller. The talent is there to me. He's an all-star. He looks like Paul George to me. I mean, he, <clears throat> the amount of, the amount of, the amount of plays that he makes with and without the ball, I think are really, really good. I mean, you look right there. I was just catching shoot straight, catch and shoot off that. And he moves well without the ball. He doesn't have to have it all the time to be effective. I just think, I think if you're, as long as the character stuff works out and you're okay, if you're Charlotte, which you need talent, I just don't think Scoot Henderson is the right guy in terms of you're going to play him with Lamelo, but Lamelo needs the ball. No, I sorry I punned, but you know he needs yeah. <laughs> he needs he needs the ball to be effective, and so does Scoot. And I think this is a much better talent and fit um, combination. I mean, that's where I am too. I'm I'm one of the uh, rare people at no ceilings. Me and uh, one other guy who who have uh, Brandon Miller at two. Um, we were also much higher on Brandon Miller compared to the consensus coming into the year. I, I thought he was a top five guy uh, during the pre-draft cycle as well. Um, I'm, I, I watch the playoffs now and, and I just go there. It's so hard to be six two, and, and if Scoot's going to be your best player, it's so hard. It's so hard to build a championship contender. It's not to say that I don't think Scoot is talented enough to get you deep into the playoffs with the right roster construction. I just think it's a lot harder to build that kind of roster out in comparison to a guy who I think is, you know, potentially equally as talented and can shoot. There's no questions about will he develop that shot. He's already going to be coming in equipped with, you know, a potentially 40% shooting outcome at 6'9", dribble pass shoot, his pick and roll operation, the setups that he uses, all super mature for a college player. One of the things I've been doing, I've been going back and watching guys like Paul George in college, Jason Tatum in college, Jalen Brown in college. And sometimes you forget that those guys have made such tremendous strides 
in the league, it's not like Brandon Miller, because he's 20, is all of a sudden going to stop developing his game. He's going to get better in every aspect. Scoot, same thing. Tremendous talent. Um, you know, I, I forgot where I heard it, but I thought it was a good point, too. You know, Scoot and LaMelo, can it work? Yeah, I think those two guys could play together. But sure. te- technically, Tyrese Halliburton and, you know, uh, Darren Fox were able to play together, too. But you saw what happened when you separated them, right? Are you maximizing what those two guys can do? Um, and I don't know if you're going to get that maximization playing in Charlotte. Uh, obviously, he's an incredible talent. You want to draft if you think he's the best talent available and you think he's a superstar. You think he's an outlier, right? You think he could be that Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wade. You make that move. But I, I lean towards Brandon Miller as well, even if it's kind of unpopular, you know, or I guess it's growing in popularity, but like you said, as long as the, the personality stuff checks out, I'm, I'm kind of there at, at this point as well. Yeah. I've had him at two uh, for about six months now. Mm. I think that I was, uh, I, I like to think I'm ahead of the curve sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I got lucky <laughs> on this one. I think I might've got lucky, but I think from him, I think everything you said is absolutely right. How many teams have been in the finals or or the conference championship, right? Yeah. That have their best player is a six two ball dominant, shooting dominant, rim dominant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rim shot dominant player. And the big reason is because length, let's let's break down what happens in the playoffs, right? The game slows down, guys are more involved. Whereas, you know, if it's game 42 in Minnesota probably not as involved defensively on all your assignments. It's just it's human nature, right? It's just human yep. nature. Guys are locked in a lot more. They, they, they play you seven times in a series. They know what you're going to do. And so all of your angles and all your levels, the, the three levels of scoring, they shrink, you know, it, it goes from here and now it's here. And that little bit over the X amount of possessions that every team is playing it really affects smaller players because they can't get into, it's going to take them more attempts, just a math equation, right? It just takes yeah. more attempts yeah. to get to your points. But the thing is those extra attempts that you're missing, if you're not offensive rebounding them, which majority of them, you're not because they're either long shots or short shots or they're bad shots in terms of what a play, a good playoff shot is, then you're going to lose in the first round, second or second round at the best. Because the other teams know that if we keep just contesting you with our length at the rim and we keep bumping you and we keep taking away your driving lanes and we're at the nail all the time. And you have to remember that these are NBA players that are locked in and some of these guys are eight-year vets and they know yeah. what's up, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot. I don't want to say it's easier because it's not easier at all. It's not easy at all. But you have a better percentage chance to score more points if you're a longer athletic guy who can either catch and shoot create his own shot, but create his own shot in pockets. It's not where, Hey, I got the ball over here. I'm going for it. Or, Hey, I got the ball over here. I'm going for it. It's, I know where my spots are. And if I don't get my spot, I'm off of it. Trying to get my neck, the next guy to his spot. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest things. A lot of people overlook like scoot is an absolute monster. Let's not, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's a monster. He is very, he is so good. And the things he does on the court are crazy, crazy talent. I just don't know if he's Monte Ellis at the end of the day, or is he going to be Allen Iverson? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, if is he Derrick Rose? Is he? I don't know. Because right now, I mean, 
to me, if we're going to talk about Scoot real quick, like I, I'm worried he's Monte Ellis. And again, Monte Ellis was a good player. Nobody can say that Monte Ellis was not a very, very good player, right? Was a very good player, but he, he could, he was not the guy that won you championships. And that's not a knock on him. It's just how the league went. Yeah, clearly. I mean, uh, it was pretty easy for um, <laughs> the the Warriors to to move off of him and, and open up that opportunity for uh, for Steph there, right? I yeah. I mean, I I probably have a little bit more faith in in Scoot to not be Monte, but at the same time, I I just think that the skills that he offers are just not quite as valuable. And this version of the NBA is what Brandon Miller mm-hmm. offers. Uh, I I think I I saw a stat somebody posted on Twitter the you know. A week ago, like 80% of the playoff wins come from the teams that shoot better from the three-point line, um, which obviously, like you said, it's a math equation, right? Like that, that makes sense. Big math equation. Three is, it's worth way more than two. Um, Now, obviously, you know, if you have a guy like Scoot, I don't think he's helpless from the three-point line. I think he's got potential to be a good shooter. That pull-up ability you know, that's great in, in end of clock situations. And when the game slows down, you need to just get a clean look off. Um, his passing, his playmaking is going to get other guys looks from, from three off his, his dribble penetration. Uh, it's just, it's a really hard archetype to build your team around for me to, but, at, at this point, like that shot that we just saw with the one he hit over Victor Wembenyama. Yeah. that step back. How many times are you going to be able to hit in a row yeah. to be effective? It, to me, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not knocking on because, excuse me, um, he's a super talented guy. Like he, you know, like you said, he could be Derrick Rose, you know, but I'm worried that his results are going to be like Montellus. I'm just worried <laughs> that his results are going to be that way, right? A guy who's a more he needs the ball in his hands to be effective. He hits it from the mid range tries to get to the rim. He's going to be on every mixtape. He's going to be on dunking on guys. He's going to be, you know, making these step backs. And then I'm going to look at this, you know, at the, at the end of the year, and he's going to shoot 32% from three, 33, maybe he's going to shoot. His splits are probably going to be below league average. His usage rate is going to be higher than the league average. And I just, from a trying to be constructive with my team, I'm not sure that that translates to me being a deep playoff team or winning the finals. Now, if my goal is not to win the finals and my goal is I just want to be in the playoffs, absolutely he's a home run. I think he's going to be in the playoffs every single year. I think just think the problem is they're going to start talking about him. He can't get out of the second round. Can't get out, you know, he got to the, okay, finally got to the conference finals. They lost in 5. You know what I mean? Like I'm worried that that's what it is and to me I'm with you 100% on where I want where I measure their talent to be, I worry about right now, game seven, Eastern Conference Finals, where are you at? How are you helping this game where we need to win? You know what I mean? Like maybe you are in this situation where you're the Celtics and you came back from 3-0 and this is the game. Like we don't have time to mess around like and try to hit fancy step backs and try to dunk on everybody because that's not, it's not realistic. In, in the actual NBA Finals, and the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, it is not realistic unless you are LeBron James or you are, you know, Damian Lillard to be able to do everything you want when it, or Steph Curry to, you know, step and think about Steph. He's just elite at making tough shots. Like he's elite at making tough yeah. shots. So literally he, the greatest ever, maybe the greatest <laughs> ever. So he's six two, six three. 
So he's scoot size in height, obviously not in his, you know, his broad shoulders and his, you know, how strong he is. But that's you have to create so much space when you're that small in terms of the NBA to be super effective. And then you got to hit tough shots like like Clay is six, 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 seven. It's not as tough a shot for him than it is for Steph because it's six, two, six, three. He's that those three inches are the world in the NBA. That's the difference between great and good. That's literally the difference. So I like Scoot. I'm not saying he's like he's not going to be a great player. I think he will be, but I think he's going to go in the in down in history as the guy who was this amazing talent. He's going to be on every mixtape. He's going to be on every highlight reel. Scoot Anderson dunked on another big, you know. But at the end of the day, oh yeah, by the way, they lost seventy or you know they lost ninety nine to ninety one. Yeah, uh, we in one of our last mock drafts, we actually had Scoot going four. Um, do you That's think possible. there's, do you think it's possible? A hundred percent. That's I mean, it's just where it falls. Right. I think let's assume that Brandon Miller goes to, right. But let's say he goes to Charlotte too. I think it's a good pick. Mitch is Mitch Kupchak is, is known for picking guys that fill his team. You know, like he's if it's right in front of him, he's a smart guy. Mitch is a smart guy. Like he's going to pick the guy that fits his team. And if it's an even talent thing, whereas their talent is the same, then we know that he's going to take Brandon Miller with the size and the athleticism and, and the the shot, uh, you know, with the shot making skills. So, you know, <clears throat> it depends on what Portland does here. Uh, obviously, I think three's in play. Um, I said that on my Twitter. If you guys, uh, if anybody follows me that listens, um, I, I, Portland is in play. They they it sounds as if they're going the Damian Lillard way, which is the way I would go too, because he's amazing, right? And he's probably has two elite years left and we might as well just go for it now and see how it goes. Right. Yep. And so with this three pick, you have to think about, is that Brad Beal? You know, I've been, I've been on this a lot. Where does Washington go? And that's why I was talking about Washington earlier, because if they choose to go the Brad Beal way, like Portland did with the Damian Lillard way, then obviously they're going to probably trade out of eight and there's going to be somebody that wants to swoop in and probably get Bilal or maybe they think that, uh, Jairus Walker is their guy and they need to get above, you know, Utah at nine or whatever that is. Right. And um, so it, it, things can go in a very weird way here because who are the teams that are going to trade up for it? Orlando? No, probably not. They, they're, they're, they have a glut of guards. I mean, he would be good. He'd be better than any of the guards they have, but how does that help Paolo? You know what yeah, I mean? Does that help Paolo and Franz's hands? Exactly. So how does that help my best player, my best two players, we'll call it. How does that help them having him there? Does that help them? Is he now the best player? How does that work? Mm -hmm. Um, Houston, I don't think they need to trade up, but if they did, is that really a great fit with the guys they have right now? Now it adds more talent and I think it's, it can work. I think it can work in Houston. It's just a matter of they're going to have to get role players from now on for the next three, three, four years. Until you know the rookies they have start, you know coming up on their rookie extensions, um, because he could fit there. It's just a matter of with all the guards they have and all the ball, ball dominant guards they have, is that really going to work? Um, Detroit at five is interesting. They missed out on the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. They missed out on Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller is the perfect fit for them, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's a lot of teams that he fits really, really well. So. Is Detroit one of those teams? You know, is Detroit, do they have enough? I don't know if they have enough capital that they want to get rid of or they're willing to part with to get two, three. But if they do, 
you have to think it's Scoot Henderson that they're going after. But the problem is with the picks they've had in the past with Jaden Ivey and um, uh, who's the point guard? Uh, Hayes or, or Cade? Uh, yeah, Cade. Sorry. Yeah. Cade. Um, with him and Cade, like Cade's my future. And that for me is it's a Cade is a true point guard and he's huge. He is a huge true point guard and he's a guy that really get downhill and finish. And I, I don't see a great fit there. Right. So I don't know if Detroit's really a candidate. I um, Not to mention the front court <clears throat> spacing they have is just terrible. Awful. You know, they, like, need, they need Brandon Miller. <laughs> That's really what they need is Brandon Miller. That's really what they need. Um, so you're just you're sitting here going, uh, who like what team would really benefit from Scoot Henderson being their guy? Because he, in my opinion, if he's not the guy, he's going to struggle, mm-hmm. um, and not struggle in a way that you know he's he's not, not going to yeah. be a good NBA player, but struggle in the way that if he's the number three pick, you expect him. Third picks in the draft historically are guys who become all stars, right? Yeah. So you're looking for an all star caliber guy, and I, I, I just, I, I just don't know. I don't. I, I mean, Utah would be a solid fit, I think. Uh, I think Washington, it'd be a good fit. Washington be a solid fit if these guys want to trade up. You know, does yeah. Washington really want to trade up for Scoot? I don't think that. But if they're keeping Beal, and so that's that's why I, you know, have to trade up. That's going to peak. Somebody and that's there. the thing. That's what I'm trying. Uh, and it's it's not so much that he's not a great talent. It's so much that it might be just the way he plays and the circumstance that this draft is in with the roster compositions of the teams that are in the lottery. Orlando has the most ammo. Let's put it straight. Orlando yeah. in this draft has the most ammo locally, locally to move up and get him. But why would you? Yeah. Why? Just, that's what it is. You, he's a guy that I think you could build a successful team around him but you have yeah. to build the team around him he has much to be harder to to complement the way your roster is already constructed um so it's hard it's hard he's a he is a, a hell a hell of a talent but you know the, unbelievable the way the draft works is right now we're at the dealership and all the cars look great they're shiny there's no miles on them um they're they're as valuable as the sticker price but as soon as we buy that that car and we drive it off the lot. Well, now, now we'll see what the real value is going to be going forward. Right. And it, and we see it year after year, the value that we perceive them in the pre-draft process is not that value necessarily once the games start, because now you see how they fit. Now they're, they're actually in a team context. We're not just making educated guesses. We actually see it. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, I think for, basically any of these prospects there are an incredible range of outcomes. Um, and like we said, there are some guys who just fit the modern NBA and some guys who maybe would have been better, uh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, let's talk about some other guys that I think people are high on, have a lot of hype. Their games were also a little bit harder to watch. Let's talk about the Thompson twins. Um, it's really hard to have, a conversation about them on the internet in a fair way. Is anything fair on the internet? (laughs) I don't think it's ever fair. You're probably right about that. Um, Clearly talented guys. uh, Some of the best athletes that you'll see in a draft, but have some real holes. Um, So how do you feel about the Thompson twins? Are there, 
which one do you favor and what do you think their their draft range could be they they're four or five on a lot of mocks can either of them slip to to that 10 range i think both of them have a shot at slipping um you know it's tough i I probably take amen over a sore for right now um and if i'm saying his name wrong i apologize i'm awful with it with names but um I would probably I would probably take him over. I mean, it's it's like neck and neck. I, I just they're super. T- Let's start with the good stuff, right? They are they are athletic. They have really good handles for having such long wingspans. They're explosive. Um, they can re- they can make reads in small spaces for the most part. Um, I think they're at best. So you just see this transition plays right here. They're at, this is when they're at their best, both of them, in my opinion. Um, when there's not four defenders after your, you know, after your yeah. primary defender, you have the four other guys to worry about when they can get out in transition. Um, I think it's, they're very dangerous and they're not awful in say side pick and roll. And they're more, they've ran probably hundreds and hundreds of high pick and rolls. You're seeing actually seeing the high pick and rolls here watching live. And it's, you know, it's, I like them. I just, I, I, there's a bit of a, I'm him complex there for me. And I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to, down anybody, but there's a little bit of an, I'm him complex. And I think the problem is, I don't know that they're that good to make up for that deficiency. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I a hundred percent, they have some, some real deficiencies. Um, you know, just, I, it's almost like the scoot conversation we had on on steroids. I, I think even more primarily for Amen uh, versus Sar. Like I, 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 I favored Asar um, just because I believe in the shot translating a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I've seen it up close a, a few times. Um, I think they're both hard workers, and you know, we talk about you know they look gr- good in transition. I hope so. They're 20 years old, and some of these guys on the court are 16. Um, you know, it, it almost feels like it's hard to get a gauge on what they might actually look like in a real context because yeah. they're just so much bigger, stronger, more talented than a lot of their counterparts. And it's not to say that the guys in the OTE league aren't talented. You know, these yeah. are a lot of kids who are going to be five-star prospects going to, you know, D one schools now that, you know, they're, they're able to take the <laughs> NIL route. Um, but the fact is they're playing down while some of these other guys are playing up. Yeah. Uh, so, it's hard, you know, obviously defensively, you know, I've seen, I've been to the pro days. Uh, I've seen how they work, how the coaches work. I seen what they teach, you know, they're teaching all the stuff you want to, you want to see, but at, when you're, you have high school kids, you teach it, but it's a process. It takes time. It takes time yeah. for them to figure out when they're supposed to be the low man, when they're supposed to X out. Um, it's all, it's a learning thing. So I, I, I think their evaluation is going to be hard. And, and again, I don't, I know that the mock drafts say one thing, but, when it comes down to it, you have to bet and invest millions of dollars and you, you better be certain about it, right? They're going to, they're going to look great in workouts. They're probably going to hit some open shots in a workout setting when there's no defender. Um, but if you've really watched the full games, you don't watch the highlights as you know, we're playing highlights and they look phenomenal. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times guys at that level are literally giving them the Westbrook treatment, sitting in the paint and daring them to shoot. Imagine now a you know an NBA line NBA defender and you know twenty thousand people instead of you know a a two thousand person gym. 
who knows how that happens? I it, they're they're two of the the more interesting prospects I think I've ever evaluated. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to your point of defense, you got to think it's PJ Tucker and Joel Embiid, right? You got to yeah. think that that they are sitting back at the rim and PJ's forcing you into his help, and you have a seven footer who's athletic, understands how to play, will rotate over um, earlier in the you know in the possession. Yeah, and and it's also like I just don't know. Obviously, being an elite athlete is great. It's it's beneficial. It allows you to do things on a court other people aren't capable of. But again, if you watch the playoffs, I wouldn't say that the number one quality that the stars have is their athleticism. I would say it's the skill set that they have that allows them to complement their athleticism. It's it's hard. I get weary of that elite athlete first as the first sentence of, of, of your scouting report. It's, it's <laughs> something that I, I get a little weary of. I think, I, I think it's overused for sure. Right. Elite, because if you really look at it from a standpoint of the league, everybody's an elite athlete, except maybe 10%, you know, 12%. Yeah. But just going back to what you're saying, I, th- I agree that I'm not saying that they can't adjust and I'm not saying that they won't adjust. I'm just saying for me, I'm sitting here going, I just looked at, I just watched Bilal for hours, you know, and I'm looking at a guy who is the same skill set, same length. They actually measured shorter. I want to mention that too. They actually, at the combine, they actually measured shorter than what they're, they've been saying. They're saying they're six, seven, but they're really six, five and three quarters. And I know maybe an inch and a quarter isn't a lot, but it's, it's kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire, right? If there's, if there's a, if there's a discrepancy there, where else is the discrepancy, right? Where else are we not getting the information on it? And for me, that's what starts spinning for me is, okay, now what else am, am I getting hidden from? Like you said, this is a, I'm, I'm investing seven, you know, I'm thinking I'm investing seven years, you know, I'm investing seven years of a lot of money on this. And, and there's a lot of money difference between the third pick and the 10th pick. That's mm-hmm. a lot of difference, right? Or if you're Orlando, that's the sixth and the 11th this year, right? There's a lot of money in, in difference there. And if I'm being withheld information here, what other information am I not going to be able to get or I have to find out on the fly? And with the talent, I think I can work with the talent if, if it's me. I, I think if I trust my coaching staff I, and my player development staff, I think that it's it can work, right? But they're going to have to understand they got to accept the role. They will be good NBA players. But, you know, you look at Denver and, you know, who, who are the three best players in your opinion? Joker, Murray, Murray, and who's the third? Uh, Gordon or Porter, depending on... We'll, we'll call it Porter, right? We'll call yeah. it Porter. Just call it Porter for argument's sake, right? Well, Porter had the same issues in terms of I'm the I'm him guy and everything was about him and everything was that. And you remember, I don't even remember if it was rookie year, he took a shot at the end of the... He took the you know game-winning shot or whatever it was, and he missed. And they said, why didn't you give that to Joker or Murray? And he was like, oh, well, because... That's my shot. That's what I do. And that right there kind of told you where he was. And now look at him now. He's the third fiddle on a championship team. He's on, I think he is starting to understand a little bit of, well, if I win, I'm going to get paid. I actually get paid more if my team wins, you know, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get that. And I think these guys are going to have to understand that too. And it's a, obviously it's a, it's a humbling process when you're not the guy and you're not everything, you know, you're not on every mixtape anymore and you're not the, you know, you're not the next great thing. 
it's tough. It, it can be tough mentally on people to adjust to that. But the guys who do adjust to that, like I give Michael Porter Jr. like a ton of credit. He may not like it deep down, but he he's going to get paid so much money just he by did. winning championships. <laughs> I mean, he's just going to keep getting paid. Yeah. And you know what? Is it really such a bad thing to be a champion in the NBA or maybe multiple? Maybe this is the beginning of, of the Nuggets dynasty, right? And those three guys are, are the guys, but he had to put his ego aside and he had to put his I'm him to the side to get to become that. And what if he goes down? What if in 10 years we go, man, Michael Porter Jr. was the greatest role player ever? Yeah, he was Scotty Pippen. He was Joker Scotty Pippen. He could be 6'10 Clay. You know, like, I'm just, but but that's those possibilities. That is an amazing thing to be. If somebody gives you that compliment, it, it's an almost unbelievable thing. And then you make two hundred million dollars for your career. Sounds great to me. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who who else it doesn't sound great to. But you I have to. That. Yeah, I, you you have to understand who you are, and that's the biggest thing is understanding who you are. And I like the Thompson twins just fine. I'm not. I'm not overly. You know, I don't think they're going to be game changers. I think maybe a sore, maybe. An all-star amen, maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe they'll get yeah. an all-star here, which is good. That's that's a good thing. But I think ultimately they're going to be role players. And do you really want to bet your future? Unless you're already you have a team like Houston, I don't think is too awful for them. It's too awful. I think it's a good role for them, you know, for one of them. And I just think that you got to get over yourself to get, you know, and I tell these guys in EYBL now, you know, that ask me about it. I, I'm like, you just got to get over yourself first and foremost. And once you do that, the world opens up for you. And I think, you know, that's something that if guys can get over themselves early, they usually have a better NBA career. Yeah. And being around them, I, I, I do think um, they have that the right mentality to to figure it out. But I think it's going to be more of a process than some people think it's going to be. You know, even in Houston, who, I, you know, I think that either one of them next to, you know, a dynamic guard like a, a Jalen Green I mean, that would be showtime, right? That's going to be a lot of fun. But I, I do question wh- what's Amen Thompson going to do when Jalen Green has the ball in his hands. How is he going to contribute on the offensive side of the ball? Um, is he going to learn, you know, how to appropriately time forty-five cuts, or, or you know, I sh- he can, he can. It's just going to be, I think, a process. Um, so I, I do think that those are two guys that their development, their context, where they go, who they're learning from, it's going to be. Because they're no longer going to be together in the same structure, and they're no longer going to be the hands down most talented guy every single time they step on the floor. They're going to how are they going to f- handle that adversity? It's going to be interesting. Um, are there any other guys who you think maybe aren't getting love? Maybe they're lottery guys. Maybe they're back end of the lottery. Maybe they're in the twenties that you think people should be talking about more. I mean, I think people are talking about him, but Jarris Walker is a good mm-hmm. name. Um, you know, we talked about him a little bit before before we went on uh, we went live and you know he kind of reminds me of Paul Millsaps a lot and a guy but a more athletic one a little more athletic guy Paul Millsaps and I think just the way he plays in his body is something you can really build around you can see the athleticism there and you know Paul Paul was never a super athlete like like this he was never that crazy athletic guy but he was super smart and he knew his spots and he got good he's got skilled throughout his uh, career. And I think Jairus, if he could kind of follow that pass, he'll be a better Paul Millsap. And that's pretty good. Like that's a pretty good thing to be. If you ask me all-star, you know, 
guy won a lot of games, went to a lot of big game. Like he's he's a he was a really good player for a really long time, made a lot of money. Like why would you you know that's a great guy to and if you're a better version, you're more athletic. To me, I think is um, that's icing on the cake for for him. But I think I think people are talking about Jairus Walker. I know you like him a lot. Um, yeah. I like him too. I think he's a really good player. He's got it's going to take him. I think the only downside with him is going to take him two years to get the speed of the game and every night is a seven footer at the rim. And, you know, if he goes to, you know, a high end would be Orlando at six. Um, I don't think he'll be there for Orlando at 11, to be honest with you. I don't think he's going to be there. I think that would be crazy if he was there at 11. I I think Dallas, honestly, I don't think Dallas would trade. I think they would take Jairus Walker if he was at 10, just to be honest. I think, I think if Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker is sitting there at 10, I don't think Dallas trades out of it. I think they take it. Um, but it's going to have to be their guy, right? He's it's, he's going to have to be their guy. But Indiana's also very, very interesting for me. I, I think he would be a great fit. fit. I mean, it, you know, you don't always draft for fit. I'm I'm personally a Bill Belichick type guy. I go for the best talent. But when the talent's even, you have to go with, with fit and, you know, what they're going to look like in five years down the road, right? Obviously, Victor Wembanyama is a no-brainer. That's not hard. This isn't the hard part of the draft, right? Right, yeah. And... and you know, I, I I think that Jairus Walker has a has a real chance to be a really good NBA player, all star. And I think you know, if I'm Indiana at seven, I'm unless I really really like, you know, if I really like Taylor Hendricks or if I really like Grady Dick, like if I really like Keontae George, I gotta really like those guys to go at, at seven. And for me, I'm just sitting here going. He's probably the best talent left, unless you think Taylor Hendricks is a better talent than him, which I'm not sure that he is. Um, I actually had Taylor Hendricks at four in my last mock. That's going to move down. I, I just watching these guys again and again and again and again. They start, you know, you start to really get good, yeah. <laughs> good feel for them. And I like Taylor Hendricks a lot. I think he has a lot of upside, but I think Jairus Walker has more. Mm-hmm. And his thing is going to be, you know, where's his NBA IQ at? Can he make passes out of the double team when they, you know, when he does go to that mid post? If they if when they're doubling from the baseline, is he going to know how to kick out of that, you know, and make an effective pass or, you know, make them pay splitting the, you know, whatever that is, things, things of those nature. And then defensively, he has a big problem going to his left um, in terms of like closing out if he's at the nail and then he has to close out to his left. He has big problems. Taylor Hendricks has the same exact problem. So the, the, these guys in their comp sets are having these same exact type of problems, but they're easily fixed, right? Not, not, I shouldn't say easily fixed, but through repetition and through, yeah, and be coachable as long as he's coachable about it. Like, I think he's a great talent. He can, I, you, to me, I remember the first time I saw him live this past year, I was like, this dude is literally Paul Millsaps. Like, this is the guy that I would, I'd go to war with Paul Millsap every day of the week. And, um, so that, that's where I'm at. I, I think Jairus, like, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando takes him at six. I would not be surprised. I would not be. I would expect Indiana to take him at seven. Um, I think. You, I think Dallas at ten. If he's sitting there at ten for some reason, I think Dallas. I would take him if I was Dallas. Let's put it that way. Uh, he he's a guy to me that you know. You talked about like you know if you don't have anything, are you willing to move off it? Like he's a guy that plays point five. He's going to make the reads. He's going to be a short roll passer. He's going to be the guy who turns good to great. That's what he's going to be willing to do. Is he going to be the guy that is averaging twenty points a game every year? No. But is he going to be the guy that impacts winning maybe more than the guys that are averaging 20 points a game? 
I think so. He's scheme, he's going to be scheme versatile defensively. If you want to play him um, in a hard hedge, he could do it. If you want to switch, he could do it. If you want to play him in a drop, I think he could do it. Um, he's I, I think that you know even talking, getting some background. You know, I, I, when I was watching film with Marcus Sasser and I asked him about it, he's like, we don't even consider him a big man. We we consider him a guard. You have no idea how he could handle the ball and, and some of the stuff mm-hmm. at IMG. You know, he 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 initiated a lot of offense. Um, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. I, I think if he gets to Dallas, they should absolutely take him. Um, and I, I think if he gets there, there, there were some reaches, uh, yes, ahead of him. I agree. Or there, or people started thinking that Case and Wallace was a better prospect than him, or, you know, they think that, yeah. uh, Gigi Jackson is a better, which in my opinion, I think is a big, um, I, I I like him. Let's put it this way: I, you you are way higher on him than I am. You are. You, I can tell. I can tell Gigi? your voice. You're excited. No, no, no. Oh, um, Car- uh, Jarris. Yeah, <laughs> no, Jarris. Yeah. Which is which is great because I saw I saw a lot of that stuff too. And you know, I I like him. I like that he's going to be forced to be engaged mostly in the NBA because he seems like he wants to be good and he seems like he like actually really likes playing. To me, he does. It looks like he enjoys playing basketball. And usually what happens there is those guys are more engaged day to day than the others and they develop a little quicker. So I just think after two years, it'll be, it'll probably take him two years of taking some lumps, but I'll tell you what, in Indiana, how great would that be to have those guards? You have miles Turner to protect you at the rim. It would be such, it's just a question. Then do you play three or four? You know, are you playing the three, you play in the four in that group. And, um, and then I think with the second unit in Indiana, I think, uh, he'd be able to initiate some offense like you were talking about. I think it's mostly going to be second unit stuff when, you know, you sit Halliburton down, give him some rest, whatnot. But I, I, I love him at seven. If honestly, if I'm Washington, I'm taking him at eight. Anybody that is six down, I would probably take Orlando. I would probably take him too. Unless Cam Whitmore is there. Cause Cam's just a little better fit, different position. You know, because Jarris yeah. kind of plays the same position as your best player. It's so tough. it's That's- tough to, yeah, it's tough to draft guys when you have a, the rookie of the year as your four, it's yeah. tough to, it's, it's Unless tough to get really believe he could play center full time, which I don't think yeah. is going to be, I think he could do it in, in spurts, but spurts. I don't think he's a full time center. Um, Cause I, I do believe like I, like you said, I have him very high, but in Orlando, it would be hard for me to, to make that sell unless I don't believe in one of Franz or Paulo. And I think they're both they're tremendous really players. Good. So it, that, that, that would be even, that would be hard for me. Um, but yeah, and that's why I, I said seven. And that's yeah. why I think seven is his spot. I think Indiana is, is I don't know that there's a more perfect situation in terms of a great coach, a hard nosed coach, a guy who's going to demand that he, you know, that he works. And then on top of it, the talent surrounding him. I mean, this would, that to me, he makes Indiana the seven seed next year. Maybe the, maybe the six seed if they're, if, if everybody's healthy and he progresses faster than what they thought. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if, I'm even of the frame of mind. Like I think if, if Portland intends to draft somebody, I think that they, they're a guy, a, a team that should trade down in a, a couple of spots and, and target, target Jarris pick, maybe pick up a, a piece that allows them to get a, another rotational piece around Dame. Um, Cause I think Jarris would, you know, be one of those connective tissues on both sides that, could allow them to compete and have, you know, a potential guy in the future that, that complements their young core as well. Um, so if let's if explore I, that, let's yeah. explore that, right. Let's yep. explore that Portland is 
that's their guy, right? Let's just assume that Portland thinks that just looking at my, so we know he's probably not getting at seven. You're risking losing him. If you're seven, if you're at eight, right? Yeah. So you have to get an Indiana probably isn't trading up for Scoot Henderson. They have Tyrese Halliburton, who I think is a better NBA type player. Mm -hmm. So you have Detroit at five. That's really your target. Then does Detroit want to move up to get, Scoot Henderson or Amen Thompson or Cam Whitmore. That's really your question or a sore Thompson or Taylor Hendrick. I'm just throwing whoever names they, out there. Like whoever they're, they're targeting. I'm not sure that Detroit is going to be jumping up and down when they can just get Cam Whitmore at five and they don't have to do anything. You know what I mean? Like they just literally get the best player at that point. Um, you're going to have to incentivize them to move up almost. I, I, know, I know it sounds weird, right? Move up and you have to incentivize other people. Like, Portland might have to incentivize them a little bit with something because at the end of the day, like if I can get Cam Whitmore at five, unless Houston wants to take him, which Houston might, Houston might take him. That's always a risk, but it's going to be hard for Portland to move down and get value in my, unless they're giving something else. In my opinion, like mm-hmm. there has to be something of value that is being received by Orlando, Indiana, Washington, um, in forms of a player, in my opinion, that you know, is that Jeremy Grant, like is that the guy you really want to get off of for that pick? You know what I'm saying? Like those are the types of things that I start thinking about. Yeah, I mean it's hard. You know, a lot of these teams at the top too. If you're Portland, you're you're trying to get an extra piece and move down a little bit. A lot of these teams don't necessarily have that piece that makes that move down even worthwhile, or at least a piece that you know the team would be willing to to part with. It would definitely it would definitely be hard. It would, uh, but. That's why they get paid uh, the big bucks, right? That's kind of the, you just go through these case by case scenarios. Like we both think Jairus Walker is a top, we'll call it top seven player in this draft, right? Is that agreeable? He's top seven. So if you're Portland, I can only go as far as Indiana at seven. Indiana also has two firsts at the end of, or two, two picks at the end of the first round. I'm sorry. Yep. So they also have some stuff that if they wanted to trade up, they have some more capital that they can push forward. They have future picks as well. So they have a little bit if they wanted to at three. But the problem is, who is the guy? What's the team that wants Scoot between Houston, Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, Washington? Who is it? It would have to be Houston or Detroit, probably. It would have to be, right? But then right. you count Detroit out immediately. They already have point. They already have franchise point guard and yeah. a two in Jaden Ivey. Yeah, that, I, that leaves Houston. So now you're going to have to pay. Are you going to get as much for Houston in one spot as you would Indiana move up four spots? Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't even know if Houston has a, a player that you would trade for and say they're going to help us next year as we move down. And that's, down and that's the problem with 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 Portland right now. I feel I feel kind of bad. Like usually when you have the third pick, you're like, yeah, we got the third pick. All right, cool. Like we're gonna we're gonna get a dude, right? But you can't right. draft Scoot Henderson. I'm so, you can't, you have Damian Lillard. Like, why would you, it, it, it does not make any, I mean, great mentor. He's going to be great for scoot from the stand. Like, Hey, we're going to work today. You know, great around. Like he, he would probably make scoot into a better pro than anybody else. But the problem is, where's he going to play? You're going to place yeah. the number three pick in the G league. You're not going to do that. No, so what, he, he plays. So you trade Anthony Simons and then you put him in the Anthony Simons role, but he's not really that, it's not, you know what I mean? Like you're trying to get away from the small backcourt thing. 
You're trying to move away from it. And I, and I get it. Scoot is built like a linebacker. He's got a six, nine wingspan. He's not as small as he might actually appear, but he's still, he's still a small guard. You know, it, it is what it is. So it sorry, is. just to go into a case study for everybody that's still listening. Like there's <laughs> a case study there that how there's going to have to be someone that values that third pick and Scoot Henderson. If he's there now, if it's Brandon Miller, I will say if Charlotte picks Scoot Henderson, which they could, he's a great player. And yep. Brandon Miller, there is three. It is open market all of a sudden. Like we are going to get, it is going to move so fast for Portland. They are going to get offer after offer after offer after offer after offer for him. It every single team: Houston, Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, Washington, Utah, Dallas, Oklahoma City, Toronto, all can use Brandon Miller. They, he fits perfectly in all of them. Yeah. It's it, that's part of his appeal, <laughs> and he still has that same star potential. Um, that that would be an interesting position for uh, for Portland, and in that case, you might just want to take him. <laughs> you know, because he fits there. Why too. not? Well, <laughs> it just depends on what you're getting in return. I mean, we could sit here for another podcast probably and just go over this that scenario, right? Yeah. So we won't we won't kill everybody with that, but just start thinking about this. this is how this is how things progress and it will and it will move fast i will tell you right now portland will have a couple deals already lined up if this happens this may happen but as soon as scoot happens if it happens at two which i don't think it will but if it does changes the whole draft portland is now in the most they go from having one of the worst three worst you know positions to be in to the absolute best yeah minus the spurs and it's an at yeah <laughs> with that uh that little preface. Um, all right, before we get you out of here, let's uh let's give one potential sleeper that you think probably gonna be end of first round, maybe the second round, and maybe not a sleeper like oh that's this guy's gonna be an all star, but like I think this guy is gonna be a great value get. He could help a team, you know, in his first couple years in the league. We're trying to identify who's going to actually be an NBA player here. Sure. Not popular, what I'm going to say. I, I think a lot of people are going to go, ah, you know. I actually think Adam Flagler is a solid okay. name for a guy who can play in the NBA for eight to ten years as a third point guard. He he will not – I think a lot of times when I talk about guys and I talk about they're good and they're bad, people are like, oh, well, he's the first pick in the draft. or what? No, 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 no. I'm just saying he will be a journeyman point guard but he has the ability because he can make shots and he can run teams and he's a good person and he, he works hard that he's going to be able, teams are going to pick him up on the sheer fact of, Hey, this, this kid helps our, our culture. He's cheap. He will be more of a cheap player. And I think that the way he plays and who he is and the fact that he can make shots enough, I think, I, I think makes him a guy that you can, you can rely on in situations. And again, he's not going to be your backup point. He's not going to be Tyus Jones. You know what I mean? He's not going to be that guy, but he's your third point guard. Sometimes second, it may be, and especially teams that if you think back to like when Memphis had Mike Conley and he would always get hurt, they always had to have a third point guard on the men, right? They always had to have a third point guard regardless. He's that type of guy for me. And he creates enough space in pick and rolls. He creates, and he makes most of the right decisions I think, you know, as long as his wrist, he had a wrist injury as well, but as long as his wrist is okay, which I think it's fine, but I just think that he makes players around him better. And I think he's a guy that you can really sit on and say, you know what? He can play. 
and I don't know if you've watched Adam Flagler much, but if you Adam watch Flagler. him just in just in this just in this stuff right here, you can see him against it's Norfolk State, so it's not like they're playing you know Kansas. But you go back and watch the games against you know he does a good job, and I think he has enough size, he has enough athleticism, and he makes enough shots, and he doesn't mess up. He doesn't mess the play. He doesn't muck it up. Right? He doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't get got. You know he's not too tight. He's not the spacing is good. You know what I mean? I think that at the next level, he's a guy that can, you know, carve out a career, probably G league and NBA, but he is an NBA player and he'll be able to, um, you know, make his, make his small mark on it. I, I would have took him in the second round last year. Mm-hmm. If, Same. If he had came out. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, he's, he's going to be able to play on or off the ball. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. I think that right away, if you're talking about a second round guy, that's probably a pretty good starting point is can this guy complement the stars that we already have? Um, he's an intelligent player. You know, I was um, with Kevin McCuller from Kansas a couple of weeks ago in workouts, and I asked him, I said, who's the, the best player that you played against this year? And he said, Adam Flagler. And I said, why? Um, you know, and I had my reasons that I, you know, I was, but I wanted to see what he thought. And he's like, you can't speed him up. He's like, his game is so mature. He knows what he wants to do. He can make quick decisions when you try to take that away. Um, he's just a heady, smart guy that gets to his spots, um, and he makes you play down to his pace. So you, you could be long. You could be athletic. He's going to dictate the possession. So I think and he's that, a winner. That he's a winner. Yeah. He, he, you know, and you know he's going to be able to play both sides of the ball. You know he's been taught that. He's got, you know, he's small, but he's, you could see the frame that he has, you know, he's, he's going to be able to, to hold up physically. Um, I think that that is a great, great call out. Adam Flagler's a guy that uh, people should have on their radar radars. And, and I think he's a guy that you're going to see definitely spend some time in the G league, but it wouldn't shock me if, if he's a, a, a rotation guy at some point during his career. Um, all right. This was uh, a lot of fun. I, I love every time we get to do this. Um, because I think your insight as somebody who's both worked in the league um, and and has had scouting responsibilities is incredibly valuable to you know our listeners, our, our uh, subscribers on the YouTube channel. So I, I appreciate you coming on, chopping it up. Uh, the floor is now yours to to plug away anything that you have for us. Well, thanks as always for having me on. I mean, it's so much fun. I love what you guys are doing. You guys put in a lot of hours and you guys, I know you do, and you're, you're on the road and you're talking to guys and it's, you know, it's a lot of work from somebody who's done it and it's a lot of work. And I appreciate that you guys do it at the level that you do it with the enthusiasm and the thoroughness that you guys do. So I appreciate you guys even letting me come on and talk to you guys. I think it's Thank great. You. Um, sports business classroom, obviously, uh, it's, it's the flagship program over at, uh, NBA Summer League, other than Summer League itself, uh, it's for young professionals that are trying to break into the NBA, WNBA, college, you know, whatever that is. Uh, We have, we set it up more like a college where you have majors, you have scouting, video analytics, salary cap, broadcasting. So there's all aspects that if you have a, if you, you know, want to really deep, deep dive into what that is. Um, and so Larry Kuhn is the general manager of it. If anybody doesn't know, Larry is the godfather of the NBA salary cap. Um, one of the best guys I've ever met as well. Just an amazing guy. And he, he is the head of it. And I, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to do the scouting part of it and the video part of it. 
uh, for him. And, you know, we, we have everything from, you learn a little bit of out of everything. It's like liberal arts. You start, you start off learning about everything and then you break down into your major, what you choose. Uh, and then ultimately we have a, a mock free agency at the end of it, which is awesome. And we have NBA executives, um, all week, um, special guests. Like last year we had Jerry West, Daryl Morey, uh, Kobe Altman, um, amongst others. And, uh, you know, it's a great program and, and our transition rate from people that come to our class and then actually get jobs in the NBA, WNBA and in the NBA itself, it's really staggering. And it's such a cool program to be a part of. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to teach in it and, um, you know, hopefully help the next generation of NBA, you know, employees or NBA team employees, or, you know, maybe it's media, you know, whatever that is, TNT, ESPN, or they're doing stuff like you guys are doing. Uh, sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Um, I, I highly recommend if you're a young person, whether you're in college, law school, just graduated high school, whatever that is, it is well worth every penny that you put into it. I, I the testimonials that we have from our former students is unbelievable. Yeah, I know plenty of people who have been a part of that experience, and um, you'll never find somebody who's gone through it say a single bad thing about it they they speak glowingly about it uh not just what they learn but the relationships that they build you know within the people that are also taking it um you know that's that's one of the things i think that you know goes underappreciated it feels like everybody i talk to they they start their own stuff with the people that they go in it with right they form these bonds so um relationships knowledge uh amazing program uh obviously the people running it top-notch top-notch guests like you said and i mean anytime you can mention the logo as somebody who is part of your program right that's pretty unbelievable just unbelievable hearing and talk yeah i i mean truly amazing stuff uh dan again thank you for doing this um we're gonna have to do it again soon maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about the results on some of the stuff that we talked about after uh after the draft uh draft happens but Uh, Thank you again for all the listeners. If you're listening to this on your podcast feed, make sure that you subscribe, give the crew a five-star rating and a review. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you smash that like button, subscribe to the channel. We are so close to the draft and we are not going to slow down. We have also officially officially released the No Ceilings 2023 NBA Draft Guide. You can get that at noceilingsmba.com. Click on the store link. It's right there along with a bunch of new merch. So thanks everybody for supporting us through this draft cycle through the last draft cycle anybody that's new come along for the ride it's going to be a fun one and until next time we're out peace